It's been 12 years since I stood right here. Someone told me it's the same wood that I stood on, so we preserved it well way back then. And we have looked forward to coming uh, to be with you and to share this time. And I am flattered and honored, Brother Bailey, because I know that uh, you love to preach as much as anybody I've ever known and to let me have a night. In fact, you, you don't know this, but I called Marge Tuesday. I said, Marge, are you sure that I'm supposed to preach Thursday night? And she assured me that I was supposed to preach. So uh, I'm uh, delightful, uh, delighted to be here, and it's just a delightful experience for Carol Ann and me to be here. And we thank you for giving us that privilege. Bailey and I have been friends for a long time, and, uh, and I'm greatly appreciative of his friendship and his encouragement. We've gotten in a lot of trouble together. I got a letter the other day from a guy who says, you're as bad as Bailey Smith. Here a while back, I made a rather controversial statement that was, as always, taken out of context. And first person they called after it hit the wire services was Bailey Smith. And Bailey called me, and he said, I decided that whatever you said, I was going to agree with. And this reporter kept saying, he said, and I said to myself, he said, what? Did he really say that? But he said, I was going to agree with it, whatever it was. And he did. And we got in more trouble because he did. But uh, it goes back a long way, and we... Uh, uh, we praise the Lord for Bailey and for you and for the opportunity to share this time with you uh, tonight. This is a very special experience and uh, a very special uh, crusade every year. And there are literally thousands and thousands of people who've been saved because of your vision and because of your willingness to do what you do. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for what you have done. And I'm grateful for the opportunity just to uh, be a part of the spirit of it and share with you a message uh, tonight. Everywhere we go across this world, we see the cross. I flew into Seoul, Korea about six weeks ago. We landed at night, and across the city of Seoul, Korea, every evangelical church has a red neon cross on the top of it. And you look across a city of around 10 million people, and you see a sea of red crosses. When you look across this country, most churches have a cross. You are building a new sanctuary. And I saw it today from a distance, and there are three crosses up on top of that building. We have uh, at every turn, it seems, evidence of the cross. I preached twice last year in our prison system in the state of Texas, and I watched many of the inmates in the prison with gold crosses around their neck. It has become the most common symbol of Christian faith. It has become the most common symbol of what it means to know Jesus Christ, the cross. And truly, the cross is at the very center of everything that we believe. Everything that we believe spins off from the cross. You'll remember the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It was at the heart of what he preached. It was at the heart of what he believed. It was at the center of everything that he taught and everything that he shared for this reason. Without faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, there is no remission of sins. 
Unless we come to God by the cross, we cannot come to God. There are not other ways, there are not other means by which we come to God except by the cross of Jesus Christ. We are not saved because we have done certain things that commend us to God. We are not saved because we are sincere. We are not saved because we have, have been uh, moral and ethical and honest and all of the things that uh, we ought to be. We are not saved except as we are saved by the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible has a great deal to say, obviously, about the cross. And in 19th chapter of John, there's the, the very vivid description of the cross of Jesus Christ. In verses 16, 17, and 18, bring us to the, very, uh, to the very setting of the cross. And it says that, So he then delivered Christ to them to be crucified. They took Jesus therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. And in that simple picture, in that simple statement and description, we have set before us the cross of Jesus Christ, that cross that adorns our churches, that cross that has become a, a symbol of our faith and has become an ornament for us to wear about our necks that is so common to all of us. We've all seen it. Every one of us has seen a cross and every one of us is familiar with it. I want to just ask you tonight, what does it mean? What does the cross mean? of Jesus Christ mean. And I want to just, if I could, for just a few moments, I would like to tell you, I would like to share with you in a very simple, three simple statements what the cross really means. And I want to ask you to listen very carefully. We're going to put all the theological terms aside. We're going to simply get down to where we live, what we understand, the basic meaning of the cross. I want to suggest to you three things. First of all, I want to tell you that at Calvary, on the cross, God demonstrated how much He loved you. Now whatever else it means, whatever else the cross of Jesus Christ means, it was God's way of saying, I love you. I care about you. I love you with all of my heart. The cross was God's expression, the highest, the greatest expression of love that God could possibly give. And whatever else the cross means, it means that God was sending a message of love to you and me. God loves you with an everlasting love. It had been taught throughout all of the Old Testament. The prophets had declared to the people, God loves you, God loves you. But when Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross, it it was the most vivid expression of the love of God that it would be possible for anyone to ever know. Make no mistake about it. At the cross, Jesus Christ was saying, God cares about you. God loves you. God loves you. Don't say that nobody loves you. Don't say that nobody cares about you because God through the cross of Jesus Christ demonstrated vividly, dramatically and in the most extreme way possible that He loves you. My dear friend, if you could have been saved any other way, God would have done it some other way. If you could have been saved any other way, if you could have come to God any other way except through the cross, uh, Jesus Christ would never have died upon that cross. But because that was the only way, Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross and it was a vivid demonstration that God loves you that much. A man stood by the grave of his son, weeping. And he said something like this. He was the only son that I had. 
He was all that I have. I have nothing left. And he wept in the loneliness of his heart over his son. But I want to tell you something. When Jesus Christ died upon the cross, God said he was the only son I had. I gave everything that I have. I have nothing left to give. He gave the most precious thing that was possible for him to give. And when Jesus died on the cross, God was saying, I love you. I love you. Don't ever say nobody loves you because God will take you by the hand and He will lead you back down through the pages of history until He stands on over a lonely hill and they're pointing to that center cross. God would say, there is proof. I love you. I love you. Whatever else the cross means, whatever else it says to a world, it says God loves you. God is not an ogre or a tyrant who delights in punishing, who delights in in destroying, who delights in judging. God's basic nature is love. God loves you. God loves you. And the mercy and love of God is that which ought to lead us to repentance. God loving us in the presence of His Son Jesus Christ upon that cross. There He died upon that cross because He loved you. In 1919, one of the most unusual operations took place that has ever taken place in this country. It took place in Chicago, Illinois. The surgeon was Dr. Orlando P. Scott. He was working a hospital there in Chicago when an accident victim was brought into that hospital. The accident involved a a fire and the victim had, uh, had the flesh burned literally off in places and immediately the only hope for there to be uh, a recovery that would not leave this person greatly scarred was an immediate skin graft. The doctor, Dr. Scott, was the doctor performing surgery on his wife for she was the one brought in. And those who assisted him and those who attended broke in open tears and stood aghast as Dr. Orlando P. Scott cut flesh from his own body without the benefit of an anesthetic and grafted his own skin into the body of his wife. How did he do it? How could he do it? He did it because he loved her. And the power of love was more significant than all of the power of the pain that he had to bear. He did it because he was under the influence of the most mighty force in all the world. He was loving the person that he was sacrificing for. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, you read it, it is one of the most ghastly, brutal scenes you could possibly see. He was beaten beyond recognition. He was uh, was so brutally beaten and attacked and he died upon that cross. And if you look at it honestly, you'd have to to say, how could he do it? He could have called 10,000 angels. What made him do it? Why didn't he say, come and relieve me from this? I'm not going to do it. The reason was he was held on the cross by the most powerful force in all the world, the force of the love of God for you. And my friend, listen to me. You can go to hell. But if you do, you'll go over the love of God. You're going to go to hell and be separated from God knowing that God loves you. You will, uh, you will spurn His love. You will laugh at His love. You will, you will curse His love. But Calvary says, I love you. I love you. God loves you so much. 
Why do you think Jesus hadn't already come? Don't you think the world's bad enough? Don't you think that uh, the situation's critical enough? The Word of God says He's waiting for the very good reason that more people might be saved. That's how much He loves us. God does not desire that anyone should perish. God does not delight in anyone being judged. God does not want you to be separated from Him. God does not want you to uh, be uh, away from Him for eternity because God loves you. God loves you. You've never been loved as completely, as fervently as God loves you. With all of your freckles, with all your warts, with all your bad habits, with all your sin... God loves you just like you are. God loves you. And He longs to take you and transform you and save you. God loves you. That's how much He loves you. He doesn't say if you'll do this and this and this and you'll please me and you'll act like I want you to act, then I love you. God loves you right now. God loves you right now in that sin. God loves you right now in that rebellion. God loves you with all the hostility that bristles in your soul. God still loves you. Whatever else the cross means, it means that God loves you. There's a second thing that it means. Not only does the cross mean that God loves you, not only at Calvary did God demonstrate how much He loved you, but at Calvary, God did something about sin. He did something about sin. The greatest problem you face is the problem of sin. The book of James, the first chapter, verse 15 says, Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. The biggest problem we have in this world is the problem of sin. It is sin that destroys homes. It is sin that destroys lives. Every tear that has ever been shed, every, every death that has ever been noted has been because of sin. For as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so then death passed upon all men because all have sinned. The greatest problem facing us today in this world is the problem of sin. And at Calvary, God did something about sin. God did something about sin. Sin. He made it possible for you to be freed from your sin. He made it possible for you to be liberated from your sin. He made it possible for you to have the freedom of heart and the peace of mind and the wholeness of spirit. God did something about sin at Calvary. At Calvary, He did something about sin. He made it possible for you to be forgiven. He made it possible for you to be saved at Calvary. The history of the Second World War the name of Private Roger Young will long be remembered. For on an island in the South Pacific, a group of our soldiers were fighting in that war. There was a machine gun nest up in the hill, and our men were pinned down below. And as they pondered what they were to do and how they would disarm that nest and how they would take that hill, Private Roger Young leaped out of his shallow foxhole and half running and half crawling made his way toward that hill. His, his buddies, his comrades were absolutely astonished that he went. They were amazed at his courage and they watched the machine gun bullets as they tore down from that hill upon him and his body reeled with the bullets as they hit him and, and yet somehow he kept going, crawling and, and rolling and he had a grenade and he took it and he threw it and it landed on the hill and it exploded and when the dust had cleared, the machine gun was silent and our men had captured the hill. 
And Private Roger Young was dead. He died and thousands like him died in order that we might have the freedom to worship outside in a football stadium like this. But I want to tell you something. Nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross. The crossfire of your sins and mine nailed him to that cross. Your sin, my sin, your lust, your rebellion, your disobedience, my disobedience, nailed him to the cross. When the dust had cleared, Jesus Christ had died. But God had done something about sin. God made it possible for us to be free from sin. The repetitive attack and assault of sin upon our lives is quieted forever. You do not have to be driven by sin. You do not have to be controlled by sin. You do not have to be dominated by sin. You do not have to be dissipated by sin. You do not have to be destroyed by sin because at Calvary, God did something about sin. God made it possible for you to be freed from your sin. That sin that drives you. That sin that assaults you and attacks you and beats you and makes you depressed and defeated. God did something about sin when Jesus was nailed to that cross. Whatever else happened at Calvary, God demonstrated how much He loves you and God did something about sin. But there's a third thing that happened at Calvary. Please listen to me very carefully. Not only did God demonstrate how much He loves you and not only did He do something about sin, but God made it necessary for you to do something. You see, the cross was not God's decree that all men everywhere would be saved. It was God's offer that all men everywhere could be saved. But you have to do something. God made it necessary for you to do something. As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Your part is to receive Him. Your part is to respond to His love. Your part is to accept His grace. You're not saved because you live in a country that at least nominally honors Christian faith. You're not saved because you belong to a church. You're not saved because you have a good family. You're not saved for doing the things that you know you ought to do. You're saved when you receive Jesus Christ into your heart. And God made it necessary for you to do that. God made it necessary for you to do something. God did not decree that He would overrule your will and you'd be saved. But God decreed that if you would choose to give your heart to Him, He would save you. He would come into your life and He would redeem you. God made it necessary for you to do something. Well, what did He make it necessary for you to do? What do you have to do to be saved? Well, we make it so complicated. We've got our traditions about it. What do you have to do to be saved? Well, Romans 10 says, If you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, is God a liar? 
Does God deceive us? Confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. You'll be saved. Romans 10, 13 explains how it's done. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord should be saved. My friend, you don't have to try to convince God to save you. You don't have to beg God to save you. God's already made His commitment to you. The cross was God's commitment. When you open your heart to Jesus Christ and when you, when you ask Him to come into your life, when you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, God has to save you. He has to save you because He committed Himself. He committed Himself on Calvary and Calvary says you must do something and that is you must receive Christ and when you do, God has to save you. There's a desire in your heart to be saved. That's God's way of saying, now's the time I want to save you. If there's a desire in your heart, God put it there because if God didn't call you, you wouldn't want to be saved. You'd have no interest in being saved. You'd have no concern about being saved. You'd have no interest in God, no interest in spiritual things. But you have that interest. Your presence here tonight is an indication that there's some drawing in your heart. Last place you'd want to be if God wasn't dealing with you is in a service like this. You're here because God has stirred your heart. You're here because in some way, at some time, God has spoken to your heart and God has moved in your life and God has, has said, I love you, I care about you and God has been drawing you to Himself. When you call upon Him, God has promised to save you. He doesn't say, you be good and I'll save you. He doesn't say, you clean up your act, I'll save you. He doesn't say, you be baptized and I'll save you. He doesn't say, you join the church and I'll save you. He doesn't say, you, uh, uh, you meet this requirement of that and I'll save you. He just says, if you'll call upon me from a heart that sincerely wants to be saved, I will save you. I'll save you. God wants to save you. Do you understand that the whole message of the Bible is the message of God loving you, wanting to save you? We can look at, at creation and know there's a God. Only a fool says there's no God. Anyone who looks at even casually at this creation knows that there had to be a creator behind all of this creation. But if you want to know of a God who loves you and a God who will save you, you have to go to the Word of God. God gave us His Word. He gave this Word to us so that we could know that He wants us to be saved. God at Calvary demonstrated how much He loves you. God at Calvary did something about sin. And God at Calvary made it necessary for you to do something. He made it necessary for you to open your heart. He's not going to force His way in your life. He is not going to crash into your heart. He is not going to dominate you and like a puppet on a string make you respond in some way. You make the choice. You hold your destiny in your hand. You have the opportunity. You have the capacity to say yes to God or to say no to God. Being made in the image of God means that you have that capacity within you to make a decision that relates to eternity. You say yes to God and He will save you. You say no to God and you turn into everlasting darkness. But you have to do that. You have to do that. You have to open your heart. It's not that you force Him in or beg Him to come in. It's like when you turn on a light in a dark room, you don't have to ask the darkness to leave. When the light comes on, the darkness is gone. When you turn that light on, it floods the room. My friend, when you open your heart to Jesus Christ, He floods your heart. He comes into your life. He forgives your sin. 
He wraps His arms of love around you and He comforts you and strengthens you. He shores up your weaknesses. He takes away those things that displease Him. He begins to shape your life in His own image, but it all awaits your willingness for it to happen. You must respond. You must do something. That's what Calvary means. You can't be a spectator. You must respond to the love of God demonstrated at Calvary. Can you imagine anyone turning down a love like that? I cannot imagine anyone. If I were to ask you tonight to come down here and I was going to give every one of you a $100 bill, why, you'd all come. But I offer you something tonight that is priceless. I offer you something tonight you can't buy with money. I offer you something tonight that is not going to be affected by inflation. I offer you something tonight that can never be lost. I offer you something tonight that will see you through life and death and into eternity, throughout the eternity of eternities. I'll offer you the salvation of your soul through Jesus Christ. It's unthinkable you'd say no. In an eastern state, many years ago, there was a man on death row awaiting execution. Before he was executed, the governor of the state issued a pardon and gave him a pardon. And it was brought to him and on death's roll, when the pardon was presented to him, he said, I will not accept it. I didn't know what to do. Nobody ever turned down a pardon before, and so it went back. And the state Supreme Court passed this ruling, which is still on the books in that state. A pardon is only a piece of paper until it is accepted by the person for whom it was intended. All the love of God and all of the mighty work of God at Calvary, the demonstrated love of God, the defeat of sin that was accomplished at Calvary, it means nothing to you unless you receive it. Unless you open your heart and allow Jesus Christ to come into your life. He'll change your life. He'll forgive your sins. He will give you eternal life. He will put the crumbling pieces of your life back together again. He'll rebuild your dissolving marriage again. He will give you peace and strength and comfort in your heart once more. If you will come to Jesus, He will come into your life and He will save you. That's what the cross means. You see that cross, top of that church, and you see it, that chain around someone's neck, that pin... It means God has demonstrated His love to you. It means that God has done something about sin. And it means that God has made it necessary for you to do something. Well, what is it? Receive Him. Invite Him into your heart. Accept Him as your Savior. Just receive Him into your life. Matthew 10, Jesus said, If you will confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. You deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. So when you receive Jesus into your heart, Jesus has decreed that you publicly testify that you've made that decision. You publicly give witness that Jesus Christ has come into your heart. You must receive Him in your heart. And because you've received Him and because He has come into your life, because He has saved you, then you give public witness and testimony to that faith. And I'm asking you tonight, have you ever received Jesus Christ into your heart? And I didn't ask you if you've been 
baptized, didn't ask you if you joined the church, didn't ask you if you were honest, didn't ask you if you were ethical, didn't ask you if you were moral, didn't ask you if you were diligent, didn't ask you if you were sincere, but have you ever, has there ever been a time in your life when you invited Jesus into your heart? You say, well, I've always known Jesus. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. There was a time when you met Jesus. There was a time when you invited him into your heart. There was a time when he came to live in your heart, if you know him. Has that time ever happened? Have you ever come to a time where you opened your heart and said, Lord Jesus, I want you to come into my life? It's a personal thing. Nobody can do it for you. Nobody can uh, be your substitute. Nobody can be your proxy. You have to do it. You have to come to that time where you understand that you've sinned that your sin nailed Jesus to that cross and yet he still loved you in spite of that. And on that cross, he did something about your sin. He made it possible for you to be free from that sin. He made it possible for you to be a whole person. Have you received it? Have you opened your heart and received Jesus Christ into your life? If that has never happened, it can happen tonight. I have good news for you. It can happen tonight. It can happen right where you sit, right where you are. You can open your heart and let Jesus Christ come in. Right where you are, you can say, Lord Jesus, I know you've died for me, and I know you want to save me, and I know I need to be saved, and I ask you to come into my heart. And my dear friend, by the authority of the Word of God, when you come to Him as sincerely as you know how, you're not trying to put on a show, you're not trying to fool somebody, but with all the sincerity of your heart, you know you're lost, you know you've sinned, you know you need to be saved, and you ask Jesus to come into your heart by the authority of the Word of God, when you do, He will. He will come into your heart. He will come and live in your heart. He will come and dwell in your heart. It's not complicated. It's very simple. Turn away from yourself. Turn away from your strength. Turn away from your sin. And holding nothing else, turn to Jesus Christ and receive Him into your heart. And when you do that, He will come into your heart right where you sit. You could ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and He'll save you. He'll come into your life. Then in a few moments, you can leave where you're now seated and find one of these aisles and come down to this track in front of me here and by coming, you'll be giving public testimony that you've given your heart to Jesus. Oh, dear friend, do you long to be freed from your sin? you long to be freed from the terrible guilt of that enslaving habit that has destroyed your life? Do you long to be free from the oppression and the depression of Satan upon your life, then give your heart to Jesus. Open your heart to Him, and He will come in. At Calvary, God demonstrated how much He loved you. Don't say God doesn't love me. Come with me to Gethsemane and see the agony of Jesus Christ there praying as he struggles with your sin, the sin of a world, and he sweats, the scripture says, and his sweat was as though it were great drops of blood. Come with me to Pilate's hall where he is condemned and scourged and beaten and see the suffering and the pain that he endured. Come with me to Calvary and see those nails that were piercing his hands and that held his feet to that cross and see the sword pierced into his side. Watch his lips begin to move. Here's what he says. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
They did not know what they did when they nailed him to the cross. But you know, you know tonight, your sin nailed him to that cross. You're not ignorant. You know that he's there because of you. And he prays for your forgiveness. Will you receive it? Would you open your heart to him and receive Christ right now? I'm going to ask you to do that. You may be a boy or girl. I gave my heart to Jesus when I was five years old. You say, that's awful young. How do you know you were saved? Because I was there when it happened. I was there. I know he saved me. It's as fresh on my mind as if it were yesterday. But that's when I gave my heart to Christ, just as a little boy. When I understood I was a sinner and I need to be saved. Will you do that tonight? Some of our boys and girls may need to make that very decision. Some of our teenagers. I don't think there's ever been a more difficult time for teenagers to, to grow to responsible maturity like today. But Jesus Christ can give you strength to be pure as a teenager. Jesus Christ can give you strength to be honest, to live with integrity. He can give you the strength to grow and mature into, into manhood and womanhood in a way that, that you long in your heart to, to do. If you'll give your life to him, teenage friend, he'll do it. I'm speaking to some husbands and wives here. Life is crumbling around the edges for you. The home is being shattered. Your job is collapsing in its uh, satisfaction and pressures are mounting. Jesus Christ can free you from the pressure of all of that. Put it all back together. I may be speaking to a grandmother or grandfather could be anyone of any age. But at Calvary, God said, I love you. I'll do something about sin if you'll receive me into your heart. Would you do that right now? Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed just for a moment. This is the most serious part of this service. This is the most serious part of the service. Please, unless it's absolutely necessary, do not move about or leave the stadium because this is the reason why we've come tonight. This is the reason why Starlight Crusade has been here for 20 years. To declare to you, God loves you. God wants you to be saved. Right where you sit, you could invite Jesus Christ into your heart. I want to pray for you. Would you be honest enough to say to me, Brother Jimmy, I know. I know that there was a time in my life when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I know it. I remember it. I know that there's a time when I invited Christ into my heart and He saved me. And I want you just to pray with me and thank God that He's come into my life. Would you lift your hand high just for a moment as a witness, as a testimony? Amen. Thank you. Put it down. Father, I want to thank you for these. Lord, what a joy, what a delight to know that there was a time when we did business with you when we invited Jesus into our hearts. And I just thank you for these who give witness of that tonight. Bless them. Now, many of you could not lift your hand. Would you be honest enough to say to me, Brother Jimmy, I just don't know. I don't know whether I'm saved or not. Or maybe you'd say, I know I'm not saved. I know I've never given my heart to Christ. I've never opened my heart to Jesus Christ. Would you pray for me? Pray for me that I'll have the courage to do it. Pray for me that somehow I'll open my heart to Jesus Christ. I really want to be saved. I know I need to be saved. My heart's in turmoil and, and there's... 
chaos and confusion, but I know Jesus can save me from that, and I want you to pray for me. Would you just lift your hand high just for a moment? Just lift it up. Pray for me. Pray for me. Thank you. Pray for me. Lift it up. Keep it up just for a moment. Pray for me. Pray for me. I'm not saved, or I'm not sure that I'm saved. Pray for me. Thank you. Just lift it up just for a moment. Anyone else? Anyone else? Pray for me. Perhaps in the choir. Pray for me. Anybody? I'm not sure. Or I know that I'm not saved. Pray for me. Anyone? Father, I want to pray for these who lifted their hands. And I pray that right now, you will draw them to you and let them know that they can be saved when they open their heart to Jesus. They receive him. Father, thank you. Thank you. And I want to ask you one other thing. Would you be honest enough to say, Brother Jimmy, I'm a Christian, I am saved, but I know as a Christian there's something I need to do tonight. I need to do business with God tonight. I need to unite with the church, or I need to get my life right with God. There's some, just some things I need to get straightened out. God's not precious to me like He once was. I know He wants to be, and as a Christian, there's some things I need to do tonight. There's a decision I need to make. Pray for me. Would you just lift your hand high? Lift it up. Thank you. Keep it up just for a moment. There are decisions I need to make tonight. Pray for me. Pray for me. Lift it up high. Pray for me. Quickly. Pray for me. I'm a Christian. But there's something I need to do tonight. All right. Thank you. In the choir, perhaps, pray for me. Something I need to do for Christ tonight. There's a decision I need to make tonight. Anyone in the choir? Now, Father, I pray for these. Thank you for their honesty. Thank you for their sincerity. Thank you, Father, that they desire to give their lives to you. And I pray that you'll let, let them do what you've dealt with them about, what you've brought conviction about in their life tonight. We commit them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look at it just for a moment. There were a number of you who lifted your hand and said, I'm not saved. If I, I have no confidence, no assurance of my salvation. You can know tonight. God wants you to know. God's not hiding from you. God wants you to know that you belong to Him and He'll save you. And I'm going to ask you in just a moment to leave where you're now seated. Either go up to a landing or come over to an aisle and down and come and stand right here in front of this platform. By coming, you'll be giving public expression of your commitment to Jesus Christ. Many of you said, I'm a Christian, but I know I need to do business with God tonight. You need to move first. You need to lead the way. When you as a Christian lead the way, it will, it will allow the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of others who need to come. Those who are lost will be encouraged because of your obedience. So I want to ask you to come. We're going to stand together right now. We're going to sing. And as we stand and as we sing, I want to ask you to leave where you're now standing. Come into one of these aisles and down to the front and stand right here in front of me quickly. You make your commitment to Christ. You do what Christ has called you to do right now as you come. As we sing, quickly, we'll be first. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Will you do that? Quickly, just come and stand right here. By coming, you'll be declaring your commitment to Jesus Christ. Quickly, leave where you're now standing and you come. Quickly. You lifted your hand a moment ago, then quickly come. This is God's invitation for you. It's God's time for you. Right now, you come. 